Morning. Am I on? Can everybody hear me? There we go. Well, cool. Well, we are so excited to be with you all. My wife, my wife Dana and I are, and we're looking forward to continuing to meet with you guys. Uh, let me first say just how amazing your all search team has been. Uh, they show themselves not only to be passionate about Jesus, but they speak really, really highly, and they're very proud of the church that they're a part of, and they've been very professional to work with. We've also had the pleasure of meeting Brother Kent and his wife as well, and getting to spend time with them, and I'll just say Crossroads is blessed. You guys are very blessed to have the folks here that you have, and so I want to get myself out of the way a little bit and dive into God's Word. How about that? And I want you to find the book of Luke, chapter 18. Look of Luke, chapter 18. It's on the, uh, what they handed you when you came in, or you can pull it up on your Bible or on a device, whatever you might be looking for. And I want to say, today's sermon really isn't a Father's Day sermon, though I do believe all of God's Word is profitable for you, whether you're a father, a mother, a sibling, a child, or a friend to someone And in this passage, we get the opportunity to be a fly on the wall with Jesus and a rich young ruler as they have a conversation. So let's look at our text, Luke chapter 18, verse 18 to 30. Let's read this together. And a ruler asked Jesus, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, honor your father and mother. And he said, these things I have kept from my youth. And when Jesus heard this, he said to the man, one thing you still lack, sell all that you have and distribute to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven and come follow me. When he heard these things, he was very sad, for he was extremely rich. And Jesus, seeing that he'd become sad, said, How difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard it said, Then who can be saved? But Jesus said, What is impossible for men is possible with God. And Peter said, See, we have left our homes and followed you. And he said to them, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive many times more in this time and in the age to come eternal life. This is the Word of God. It's important for us as we start reading a passage like this to consider that it has been placed strategically in Luke's Gospel. Luke introduces his Gospel by saying he wants to give us an orderly account of the life and the ministry of Jesus. And if you look at Luke 18 as a whole, you see that Luke has put together a series of passages about humility and eternal life. If you look at verse 9, there begins a parable, a rather famous parable, of a Pharisee and a tax collector. And it was the tax collector who displayed a humble, godly approach to God, and it was he, rather than the religious leader, the Pharisee, who went home justified. 
Then we see an account that, that's always found, interestingly, next to the account of the rich young ruler, which is where people were bringing their babies to Jesus. And Jesus blesses the children, and then he uses them as an illustration, saying that all of us as believers must become like children. And then we come to this passage, and we must notice the rich man. Notice the rich man. See, we've got an account of a man who is the opposite of all of those things. We see a man who wasn't like the sinner in the parable who would humbly approach his God or like children who, are, who ultimately recognize that they're dependent on someone other than themselves. This man appeared to have it all. Power, influence, money, youth, a good and upright reputation. What more could anyone want? And yet we see him coming to Jesus with a question. Something was gnawing at him. His money couldn't give him assurance. His youth was likely starting to fade. His influence would never be enough to influence the God of the universe. He was concerned about his eternity. And Jesus exposed that no matter what the outside might say, on the inside, he was spiritually bankrupt. And when he encountered Jesus, and when we encounter Jesus, our own spiritual bankruptcy is also exposed. Our need is exposed. And when we come face to face with Jesus, who we really are is revealed. And we see what verse 27 tells us, that salvation is impossible for us on our own, but it is possible with God. That none of us can merit this on our own. In fact, I would say that verse 27 is the central verse that this whole encounter is illustrating for us. Jesus exposed the rich young ruler's deepest need, which was salvation, and he couldn't get it on his own, regardless of how much he might try. And all three of the truths we see in this morning's passage illustrate for us how impossible eternal life is for any of us to earn how much we need him. First, here's what we see. We see that this man thought he was a ruler, but he was really a pupil. He thought he was a ruler, but he was really a pupil. Notice verse 18 again. And the man asked Jesus, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, this ruler was likely one of the rulers in the synagogue, it was like he, he was probably like Nicodemus. To be a ruler in these days was to have both a level of spiritual and civil authority. And it's incredible that when he comes and Mark's account of this event tells us this, he knelt before Jesus. This man of authority kneels before Jesus and he asks a question. That becomes all the more poignant when we realize that this was supposed to be a man in spiritual leadership who knelt before Jesus and said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Notice that the ruler of the synagogue didn't even know the fundamentals. He didn't even know how you could have eternal life. And he comes before Jesus in the posture of a student and calls him good teacher. The one who was supposed to have all authority and knowledge bow to the one who truly has all authority and all knowledge. In fact, Jesus' knowledge and authority was what part of made the watching world wonder at him. 
At the end of the Sermon on the Mount, which is Jesus' most famous sermon in Matthew chapter 5 through 7, look at how that ends. Matthew 7, verse 28 and 29. Look what it says. And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority, not as their scribes. It's likely that these rulers, that this ruler was hearing Jesus speak and heard all of this about his authority, and he came to him for answers. And there's a couple things that just leap off the page to me about this. First, that it's possible to be a spiritual leader and to be spiritually blind. That it's possible, friends, to be a spiritual leader and to be spiritually blind. It shouldn't surprise us that Luke and Mark both follow this account with an interaction between Jesus and a blind beggar who ends up becoming a follower of Jesus. It's interesting that the one who should have had spiritual sight, the ruler, was the one who walks away, while the one who was blind ends up seeing and following after Jesus. Do you see the contrast that's there? Do you see that it's the one who should have known better who walks away while this blind beggar on the side of the road receives his sight and follows after Jesus? Hear me, ministry can often cause us to be blind to God. We need to not refuse a real relationship and true knowledge of God with busyness. So many times churches do this, don't we? We get busy with all of these things that fill out our week, and yet many times we can get lost in that thinking. That's what it means to know God. Get so lost in those things that may be good things, but aren't the main thing. Church can keep us busy with activities that we miss what we exist for, to know God. And friends, may we never be so busy as to forget the one we're created to know. Second, this encounter jumps off the page to me and encourages me as a preacher because there's going to be times people are going to have questions for me. There may even be a time today you may ask me a question. And so many people believe that I am supposed to have all the answers. And here I am to confess that Here I am to confess that I don't have all the answers, but I know the one who does. Right? And an encounter with Jesus revealed that this man thought he was a ruler, but he was really a pupil. Second, we see that the man thought he was righteous, but he was really polluted. The man thought he was righteous, but he was really polluted. Notice what happens next, verse 19. And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. And he said, the man said, all these I have kept from my youth. And when Jesus heard this, he said to him, one thing you still lack. Sell all that you have. Distribute it to the poor. And you'll have treasure in heaven and come Follow me. What an interaction. We should know first that Jesus responds to the man's question with a question. He loved doing that. I was telling some of these guys over here that are going to Southern that talk to me that, hey, if you ask me a deep theological question while we're up here in front of everybody, I might just ask you another one in return because that's what Jesus often does. (laughs) That's how Jesus often taught was by revealing with questions what might be underneath 
a question someone was asking. He loved to do this, and he wanted us to see that God alone is good. Jesus is saying, if you call me good, you must believe that I am God because God alone is good. He's revealing that in the question underneath the man. And then he begins to expose the man's condition. He goes to his heart by having him look at the law of God, by having him look at the Ten Commandments. Notice verse 20 again. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. And Jesus knew what Paul would later write in Romans 7, that it is by the law that we have knowledge of sin. That the way to see just how far we've fallen and the way to see how much we are in need of God is to look at his holy law, to look at his expectations upon us and to see that none of us in this room can earn our way to God. None of us have perfectly kept even God's Ten Commandments, much less everything else he would call us to do. And notice the man's response. He hears this, he hears what Jesus says, and he says, all these I have kept since my youth. And he's basically saying, I've not only kept them, I've guarded them carefully. Like any of the religious leaders of Jesus' day, he emphasized his law-keeping above all else. And Jesus hears him say that he's kept the law since he was a child. And Mark very profoundly inserts into his version of this account that Jesus heard this and deeply loved the man. He deeply loved him, and he looked at him. And here's what he said, verse 22. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, One thing you still lack. His life looked upright, but something wasn't as it appeared. Something the man lacked. He went below the surface, and what was it he lacked? Verse 22, it goes on, Sell all that you have. Distribute to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. Jesus goes even further than this man knew. He exposed this man's heart, and underneath a righteous exterior was a heart owned and polluted by riches. The money wasn't the problem, but his love for it was. The money itself was a good gift from God, but his love for it was not. And his love was on full display when Jesus said, give it away, not just throw it in the fire, but give it away to people in need who can use it. In verse 23, look what the man said. Well, look what he did. When he heard this, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. The words there for very sad, I don't think simply does it justice. He was devastated, destroyed, utterly broken. I want you to think the saddest a man could possibly be, that was how this man was. When his money left, his purpose left. And though he'd lived a righteous life, his heart was polluted by the love of money. And finally, third, this man thought he was rich, but he was really poor. This man thought he was rich, but he was really poor. Consider that both Matthew and Luke tells us that it's at this point he walked away. He walked away from Jesus because he loved the money, whether it was the stuff it brought him or the security it gave him. He loved that more than Jesus. This man exchanged eternal life for a fat wallet. 
This man exchanged eternal life for a big number in his bank account. That is the craziness of sin. Sin will take a good thing like money and make it a bad thing by making it a God thing. Sin will cause us to worship good gifts of God and exchange them and make them God themselves. He loved the power and the security it brought. And that's why Jesus says in verse 24, Jesus, seeing that he'd become very sad, said, how difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Just picture what he's saying here. He said, entering the kingdom of of God by our own works is like a big camel trying to fit through the eye of a needle. A camel trying to fit through the eye of a needle. It is impossible And the disciples clearly understood that Jesus wasn't just speaking about the super wealthy here. When people often hear this passage, they think it refers to somebody else, but never to them. And look how the disciples thought, verse 26. Then those who heard it said, then who can be saved? They seemed to think they were all in trouble if this was the case. And look how Jesus responds. But he said, What is impossible with man is possible with God. This went far beyond the man right in front of him. We don't need to miss this. Apart from God's grace, all of us are this rich young ruler. We may not have his youth. We may not have his influence. And in today's terms, we may not be rich. Though I would remind you that this man didn't have a smartphone. Or a TV, he didn't know what Facebook was. This man didn't even have plumbing. So friends, we need to consider that we all have the same problem. And this man had more, this man, had, we, we have stuff this man would have never even dreamed of. And we've all got the same problem. We are self-reliant. And for the self-reliant, the scripture says salvation is impossible if they continue in their self-reliance. Because money can't buy you eternal life. They might say money can buy you happiness, but it can't buy you eternal happiness. Friends, your influence, you can't work your way with your connections into it. Morality can't earn it. And in this man, we've seen bad news, haven't we? That for those who would rely on our work, salvation is impossible for us. But there's also good news, isn't there? He doesn't stop with saying salvation is impossible for man. He continues to say it is possible for God. It's possible because Jesus was everything this man wasn't. And Jesus is everything we cannot be. Notice now, we've noticed the rich man, and now we notice the riches of Jesus. We notice the riches of Jesus. Notice the passage again. This man thought he was a ruler, but he had met the true ruler. That Jesus is the true ruler. He was the one who had true authority as the creator, as sovereign over all things, as king. He was a good teacher, the man could recognize, but he was far more than that. 
He was God in flesh, come to dwell among us, to redeem us, and to, have, uh, and to be our king. He was far more. He didn't just have authority. He had infinite wisdom and knowledge as how to use his authority properly, too. Friends, Jesus is the true ruler. Next, salvation is possible because Jesus is the only truly righteous person. Jesus is the only truly righteous person. This is seen throughout the Gospels, and it's even implied by the young man's question and by Jesus' answer. He is good. And not just good by like our standards where we might measure ourselves next to the person next to us. He is actual goodness incarnate among us, righteous without sin. And because of that, he can live the life and did live the life that none of us could live. A life of always keeping God's commands. A life of never sinning and living that in our place. And finally, salvation is possible because Jesus is the only truly rich one. Have you ever thought that God owns everything? The scripture says he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. And that's true, but he also owns the hills the cattle are on. And everything that takes care of the cattle, he owns everything. And the Bible tells us that even beyond that, that even owning everything is but a penny in the bucket compared to the worth of God himself. That God is the most infinitely valuable being there ever was and there ever will be. And the Bible tells us that God is rich in and of himself. But unlike this rich man, God doesn't hoard his riches. Jesus gives them away because he is rich in grace and mercy. He is rich in loving kindness. He is rich in patience and forbearance. Jesus endured poverty so that we might become rich, not in earthly treasures, but in heavenly treasures, because God has greater treasures in heaven for us. Have you noticed Jesus' response to the man? He both affirms all the good that money can do to feed the poor, to help the needy. So Jesus would want to say, hey, don't don't think that money is necessarily the problem, because money can do a lot of good. But Jesus simultaneously sets our sights higher, doesn't he? He tells the man to set his sights on treasures in heaven. This is about heavenly treasure. This is about eternal life. This is about an eternity with the most valuable being in all the universe, the one we were created to be with, God himself. Does that sound familiar? Didn't Jesus say this elsewhere? Jesus tells us in his Sermon on the Mount, doesn't he, that If we set our hope on money, that it will rust and fade. But that rather we should set our hopes on treasures in heaven, kept there for us by Jesus himself. God is worth more than anything else this world can offer. And the message of this encounter for us is verse 27. What is impossible for man is possible for God. That Jesus, God in flesh, emptied himself. 
And he, and he lived among us, born of a poor virgin Israelite girl. He humbled himself to die on a cross for our sins. He paid our punishment by dying in our place on the cross for the sins we committed. He was buried in a borrowed tomb. And on the third day, praise God, he rose again in victory, forever defeating sin, death, hell, and the grave. And through Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, anyone, the immoral the proud, the rich, the poor, the important, the forgotten, anyone through repentance and faith can come to Him and know Him and spend everlasting life with Him, have forgiveness of sins, and be able to know and enjoy the greatest treasure heaven has to offer, God Himself. Friends, we could never bridge the gap, but a resurrected God-man could. And friends, how will we respond to this message? Some of us might want to go about our our life just continuing with the good old religious activity like the rich young ruler did. But when he was encountered with the true God, with Jesus, he walked away. He could continue with all of his activities but walk away self-reliant and convinced of his own self-righteousness. Don't be that today. I plead that that's not how you respond to an encounter with the God of the universe. Or will we come in humility and trusting faith to our only Savior, Jesus Christ? If you've never trusted in Jesus, or maybe you've come to realize after this encounter with Him, that maybe you've been living like this rich young ruler, just going through the motions. This morning's the time you can call on Him today, and He will be a perfect Savior for you. I'll be down front. Kent will be here as well. Others will be here. If you would want to talk with people who may know you better, to talk with them and pray with them and find out today what it means to have a true relationship with Jesus, not just a a sort of one-by-works that this ruler had. Because this passage reminds us that salvation is simple, but it is not easy. It is simple. Any of us can call on Him today, but it may mean us leaving behind things we want and things we love. Because Jesus is worthy. The passage closes. Peter came to Jesus, and Peter's always the first one to speak and always sort of put his foot in his mouth. Look what he says. He walks up, and he begins to highlight all the disciples had done. Verse 28. He says, we left our homes and followed you. Even as followers of Christ today, you can begin to look to yourself. You can begin to go, well, look at all the things I've done for God. We can begin to look there, but even as followers of Christ, we need to be reminded that God is the one who does the work. That God alone saves. That salvation isn't possible for us in our own power. But, power, but, but it's possible because God is powerful. Even as churches, we can often fall into beginning to rely on tricks and gimmicks rather than an open proclamation of the truth, trusting that God's word will do God's work. And Jesus sets our sights aright. Look what happens after Peter says this. Look what, look what verse 29 says. Jesus setting our sights together here, verse 29. Jesus said to them and to us by extension, Truly I say to you, there's no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents 
or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive many times more in this time. There's a lot packed into that that we could look at another time. And in the age to come, eternal life. May we together find Jesus to be a greater treasure than anything this world can offer. I'll be down front. If you feel the Lord prompting you to confess that that you've been self-reliant or to have trusted Jesus for the first time or whatever you need to do, I'll be here. There'll be others who would love to pray with you wherever you are. But don't be like the rich young ruler today who didn't realize that this was going to be an opportunity, an encounter with the living God. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we're so thankful that you're rich in mercy, that you're rich in kindness, that you're rich in grace for us, that you're rich in all sorts of things, but you don't hoard it for yourself, you give it away. And you have loved us and sent your son to die for us, to redeem us, and to bring us into fellowship with you. I ask today that we as believers would commit ourselves to that message, both for our own hope and for the hope of our neighbor, that we would share it with someone today. And I pray that if there's anybody within the sound of my voice this morning who needs to know you, that you draw them to yourself by your spirit, by grace alone, and do what only you can do. And we ask and we pray this on Jesus. this time of response together. Let's pray and then I'll hand it off to to Kent for the remainder of the service. Let's pray together one more time. Father in heaven, help our unbelief. Help us that we're so self-reliant and we think we are the center of this universe when we're not. Help us, Lord, to recognize just how good you are and I trust that your word has done your work as you promise all together in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Yeah, I, thought, I think I turned it off when I turned it on. Thank you. Appreciate it. Now we're good. So, start over. <laughs> Matt, Dana. So...
cool. We're good now. Thank you for that. Uh, so, born and raised uh, in Owensboro. I've been there my whole life. My wife is a transplant from Michigan, got here to Kentucky as fast as she could. And uh, we've been married almost a year now. It'll be a year next week. So that's exciting. Yes. 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 Uh, let's see. I have served in a variety of capacities in Owensboro. A graduate of Southern Seminary. My Southern guy's over here. That's right. That's right. I, I'm a, and I'm a big and I'm a big Southern. I, I loved my school and everything. I always tell people, and, and they'll know this. The president there always talks about going to the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, and I really do think that I that that was some formative uh, years for me. Uh, let's see. As far as us, we're we have two cats. <laughs> don't fault the, Don't hold that against us. Dot and Spurgeon. And if you want pictures, my wife has them ready on the phone always. for you. Always. That's right. And um, yeah, Spurgeon preaches. That's right. That's right. So Spurgeon is the preacher cat. And uh, again, we've. We've been praying about where the, uh, the Lord would have us. Um, trying to think what else. And then we've, uh, the only other thing to add, this Father's Day is kind of an interesting feeling. Uh, for me in particular, as we have a baby in heaven this year, uh, that, we, uh, that we went through an experience of miscarriage last November and feel comfortable sharing that with you all because you probably saw me stand when it said Father's Day and didn't see any kids here. So we thought, well, that's, <laughs> thought we'd share about that. And as far as vision... Uh, for the church, I, I would say up front that I think, j- as far as the mission of the church, that Jesus gave us his marching orders, didn't he? Yes. Go, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded, and surely I'm with you always till the end of the age. That's there at the end of the book of Matthew. And if I could summarize that, it would be to make much of Jesus by making disciples of Jesus. That would be a, a summary of what he called us to do and how he called us to do that. There's sort of an idea of, hey, every church, I think, should have certain values that I think every church that loves God's word and seeks to follow God's word should be about. And those would include things such as worship and spirit and truth. So to gather together in worship uh, and spirit and truth, to grow in groups that are about fellowship and fellowship, so teaching one to follow Jesus and getting to know one another, to go uh, in God's mission both individually and corporately and to give generously to God's work locally and globally. So if I could give you, there's big statement, four values. I think that would be a guiding thing for, for me, regardless of where uh, the Lord would have to serve. I think those are biblical non-negotiables uh, for, where, uh, for where a church would go. So hope that gives at least enough of a a taste for folks, and if there's other questions, looking forward to that. So, if you have questions, uh, stand up and speak loud, and uh, so you can get your questions answered. Uh, you may not have had access to that uh, sheet that we gave you, our sheets, plural, but we want you to feel free to ask questions because I'm convinced until you're settled with what you need to know, you cannot pray properly what's going to happen two weeks from today. And so, you feel free to ask them. I don't all love you at one time. <laughs> I'll start. So, how do you feel about community ministries, like reaching out to the community? Well, I'm all for it. Absolutely. So, in terms of how the... So, so let me answer more of that question this time. <laughs> 
Because, of course, I'm for it, right? The Bible talks about us serving our community and things like that. I think the, the thing that all churches should be careful of, and I think this is something that can always happen, is sometimes we can lean more into the meeting, meeting physical needs without also meeting spiritual needs. So I'm all about meeting and, and that Christians as individuals and as churches together should help to meet people's needs, and that includes both their temporal physical needs and their deepest possible need, which is their, uh, their, uh, their relationship with Jesus. So I think partnering those together and making sure that whatever component it is, whether it's uh, service at a Bible study, whether it's service at a homeless shelter, and there's an element there where there's opportunities for individual believers to connect and share the gospel, whether it's food kitchen, whether it's whatever it is, that there's opportunities, and there's folks there who love and realize that the mission is to ultimately share Jesus with those people uh, over and above um, over and above whatever else we might do to serve that and the good works that might serve that, that, that uh, mission. So I hope that was helpful for you. So, good. <laughs> Go for it. I can come in here and be a member of this church and sit down and do nothing. What do you expect of me? <laughs> it's a great question. That's a fantastic question. Yes. So as far as what I think the expectations are, I think I would put those four categories that I gave for you at the start to gather, to grow in a group, to go on mission, whether individually or corporately. So to see that every church is ultimately, if it's going to survive and, and thrive, must be member-driven ministry. That people aren't bringing me here to do all of the ministry, right? But that I'm here, as Ephesians 4 says, to equip in ministry. So that would, you know, be involved with believers seeing that they have the personal responsibility to share the gospel. I think that looks like and providing training on how to do that. And then I think it also means groups and maybe even some yearly opportunities or bi-yearly opportunities to reach out, so to gather, to grow, to go, and then to give. I think supporting uh, this ministry financially is a piece of that. And so I think those would be uh, sort of the four guiding posts for someone who was uh, a member of this church. Okay, what am I supposed to do? Those four things, gather, grow, give, go, and then anything else that's outside of that, great. Go for it, you know. But I don't think that that that, that always looks the same for uh, for everyone with their gifts, but I think the four, those, those are things that I think the Bible gives for every believer to be a part of, so hope that was helpful for you, so others, go for it, we have quite a few youth, mm. I work with youth in my job, yep. uh, do you or Dana have experience working with youth or young children, how would you like to get them involved, or how involved would you like to be in whatever church you plan to pastor? Or, or Dana, I'm sure she's going to be your right-hand woman. So. Yes. So, of course, we, we love kids. The Bible says that they're a blessing, right? So I, so I would start by saying I think there's certain ways that churches, one, you know, we should create places where children can feel welcome, whether that's settings for youth or in events for youth, but I think it also begins with equipping parents to be able to feel like they can disciple their kids. 
So whether that is creating, uh, we did this at a church I was a part of previously where we created for a time these little guides that you would take home with your kids and work on them throughout the week. Questions, even just Bible reading with them every night. Teaching those family worship things is where it starts, right? That's not all of it, but so many times churches can see that it's, People can think that it's the church's job to disciple the kids when it's the parents. It's the parents' job to be a part of that, plus whatever the church can offer. So I would see any programs, whether kids, youth, whatever it is, as supplements and helping the parents to do uh, what God has called them to do, which is to raise their children uh, in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. So I hope that that's helpful. You, we could get more specific as I knew the church a little better, but that gives you some sort of guiding principles for those so i'm also very passionate for children Mm -hmm. Um, i was the youth intern at my church um, back right when i graduated um, high school and um, i have a lot of experience in leading sunday schools and and helping out with everything like that so when however the lord leads i'm 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 kind of just here to see where the lord serves and again just love children and love to share jesus (laughs) Good questions, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Do you plan on doing anything for the church to help it grow? It's a great question. Well, I hope everything we would do would be to help engage with the community, right? So the one thing that uh, I think is great is you all have connect cards that you all are doing. There's a lot of churches that honestly don't even have that step in place. And I think your follow-up on that is huge. How you follow up with those people, whether it's having a team that sends them or uh, the pastor that'll send them a note every, you know, following up with them, emails, texts, things that you can do to follow up. And one, show them that they're welcome here because I don't, I don't know who the guests are here, so I don't have any reason. So just know that, right? You're welcome here. <laughs> Whoever you are, wherever you are, if you're a guest here, you're welcome here. And we want you to know that, and we want to help, I think, facilitate that. And I think in addition to that, it's training uh, believers in how to share their faith and how to be active in living uh, that faith out. So hope that helps a little bit uh, with, with those things, so with those questions. That was a really good question. Thank you. Yeah, that'd be great. So I grew up uh, in a non-Christian home, uh, raised by a single mom, never knew my father. I still to this day have never met my father. Raised in a, in a Christian home, or raised not in a Christian home. Had a friend in high school who began to invite me to youth group. And as any high school boy, I went to youth group because there were girls there. <laughs> and so I went to go meet girls. And while I was chasing after girls, the Lord was chasing after me. And through this ministry of a friend who began to share the gospel with me and challenge me to begin to read my Bible, alone in my house, uh, February of my freshman year of high school, I was reading through the gospel of Matthew, ironically enough, and began to just see it click in the moment as I was reading the crucifixion account, and I understood there in that moment that what Jesus did there, he did for me. 
and he didn't answer all my questions. He didn't, you know, instantly just take all my sin, you know, all of my uh, struggles in my life away from me. But I knew in that moment that he had saved me and, and made me his. And so then I joined a local church there in Owensboro, if you're familiar with Yellow Creek Baptist Church. I was there for about seven years or so, serving, did the college ministry there for a while, and felt in those early times, I, uh, I, I began to do a street evangelism. So part of my ministry, if you know of a man named Ray Comfort, some of you may or may not, he's kind of an evangelist. Um, he's a New Zealand evangelist who lives in America. It was part of his messages that were what was convicting to me. So I thought as a young 15-year-old, every Christian was out on the streets doing what he was doing. <laughs> and so I was a 15-year-old kid going to the barbecue festival in Owensboro with these big, scary, drunk guys passing out tracks and chatting with them. And that's kind of where I cut my teeth on ministry. <laughs> and, uh, and so anyway, that, yeah. So that, and so part of that was beginning to think, okay, what can I... I wanted to see the, the nations reached with the gospel. And I began to ask myself, what is, the, what is the way God would have me do that? Is it me, myself, going? I began to struggle with this call to, is he calling me to missions? What's he calling me to do? I know he's calling me to play a role in this. And it, it clicked in the midst of a lot of different influences to see that the way, I, the way that the Lord was gifting me and sort of leading me through several providential events was to see that the way I could best reach the nations is by me, myself, taking responsibility in that and equipping others uh, to go and to do the same. And so out of a, a call to see lost people saved like me, he called me into the ministry. I didn't answer all my questions in the midst of that too. Uh, led me to serve at the college ministry at Yellow Creek for a while while I did my undergrad at Western um, and then led me to Southern Seminary where I went for three years and finished. And in the midst of that, called me to a local church on the west side of Owensboro. We served in... Uh, hmm? When you were 19. When I was 19, yes. So I ended up sort of falling into a pastorate that was bivocational in Owensboro uh, for about five... And I was there for five years. And um, again, it was sort of accidental. The guy who was there was filling in, or was there, and he, uh, he worked at a, at a factory in town, so he always needed a fill-in, at least one, either Sunday morning or Sunday evening every week. And so, has this young guy come preach, and I come in there thinking, well, this is never going to happen. It was an older church, struggling church on the west end, kind of in the hood part of Owensboro, really rough part, and I'm like, they're never going to have this young 19-year-old guy back again. You know, I looked like I was 12, you know, (laughs) at the time, so it was even worse, right? It was even worse, right? And, um, and then five years, <laughs> I was still there and serving as, as one of their two pastors that was there and really appreciated getting to do seminary while pastoring a local church was a game changer and being able to apply those things somewhere rather than just filling up here and sipping coffee and just thinking I know the answers to everything when I really didn't know anything. So, so hopefully that, that's sort of helpful uh, with kind of seeing my background and and where I've been, so. Uh, what's your stance on a midweek uh, Bible study in the corporate level for you know, men, women, and youth as well as, and or a midweek uh, small group setting? 
Yeah. No, I, I think both have value. I think a lot of I think the most important thing is that the group serves both the purpose of followship, which is helping people to follow better, and fellowship, which is getting to know one another. And I think there's a lot of ways that one can do that, and some of that has to do with the context of the church. And so in terms of some specific strategies like that, it's hard for me to say at this point not knowing the church a little better and knowing the area a little better. Because, for example, where I was on the west end of Owensboro, they did not do home groups. People did not let you in their home there. That was just a part of the culture and sort of that inner city part we were in. It just wasn't a part of their life. But they did plenty of a... Uh... Are you okay? Yeah? Are you okay? She's about to fall over. That means the answer's really good, I guess, if she's just like, whoa. Uh, or I said something really bad and she's trying to... Anyway, but... So, so I, think there's, I think there's merits to both, and I think it would take you know, time for a new pastor to figure out, hey, what, what would best serve the people, and what are the people going to get behind? What's the church going to get behind? Or are they already behind something that's working? I'm not one that thinks that uh, you've got to fix it just to fix it. If it ain't broke, don't fix it, right? So, so I hope that answers a little bit. I think I'm pro all of those things as long as they're serving the function which they're there for. And again, and I don't know if they are or not. It would take time for a new pastor to, to see those things. So hope that that's helpful. So I think there was another one over there. Yep. Like, who are your top three podcast guys? Ooh, there we go. I know. Now, I do, I do. And now they're, and now everybody, and now the second I say, they're going to be like, oh, he must really be like this because he listens to them. So let me say my influences because I will say that the struggle with preparing to preach every week is it's often different folks at times prepping. But I would say influences on my life would be uh, names that people would know, I guess would be John Piper has been very, in, has been very formative uh, in my life, I would say. Trying to think on names off the top of my head. Now, but I, I listen to a lot of, I try to always listen to a lot of local churches in Owensboro. So there's, there's a guy in Owensboro who some of you might know. He's from Katie's, actually, interestingly enough. Uh, Lance certainly knows a Jameis Edwards who serves in, at Pleasant Valley there. He's a friend of mine. So I'm always tuning into him from time to time, seeing what's going on. And then our own church we're at in Owensboro, which is Heritage Baptist Church. Uh, I'm often pouring, getting from those guys lots and lots of wisdom. But other names people might know, um, John MacArthur has been formative at different times in my ministry. Uh, and I've really appreciated sort of out of the, out of the more Baptist world a little bit, because I, I listen kind of wide, uh, would be a guy named Lincoln Duncan. He's a Presbyterian, but we can, we can forgive him for that. It's okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> but anyway, so that was a joke, by the way. For those who didn't laugh... I saw some really serious faces and thought, uh-oh, maybe the Presbyter- maybe there's some Presbyterians in here and they just thought I was really kidding. Or I walked in the wrong church this morning, but okay. Anyway, that, time controlling yes, space. that was a joke. Yes, that was a joke, by the way. So anyway. <laughs> but no, that was a good question. Hope that helped a little bit uh, with those. So, but, yep. Here at Crossroads, I mean, I'm still a newer member. Mm-hmm. Yep. And everything in between. Mm-hmm. We've got our teens and yep. our elementary. I mean, we've got systems in place already. So, I mean, you'll get to know that. Mm-hmm. You know, you're going to stay in all mm-hmm. that. But how 
do you see being in your age group being able to reach the multiple different experience levels in life that we have in our, in our congregation? Yeah, that's a real, that's a, that's a really, really good question. So I would say, in one sense, I think the best thing to do is to not try. I'm careful on how I'm going to word this. Sometimes guys try way too hard. Amen. If you've ever seen maybe someone who's a little older, teens, really try hard to speak your language, and they're talking about TikTok, and you're like, what the heck? Are, you know, they don't know anything about, <laughs> they don't know anything about TikTok. I think that's the worst possible thing that I could do is try to come across really, really hip when I'm really, really not. Okay? So I would just simply say to begin being myself as a part of that. And I think in being intentional to, one, have people over. We're big at having people over at the house. And spending time with folks, showing up to stuff, even if I don't necessarily have to show up, even if I'm not necessarily needed, just showing up and hanging out and being there and just being, being myself, I think is far better than coming in, hey kid, you know, like trying to be really, really hip and having no idea what I'm, what I'm talking about. Or the other way, trying to catch references that people are like, you, you, you weren't there for that. Don't talk about that, you know. So, so that, you know, you can always go the other way. So I, so I would say being, intent, being intentional is a huge deal with that and uh, trying to be present as much as possible and spending time with folks and trying to invite a lot of different folks over to the house or out to eat or whatever they're comfortable with, I think is a huge uh, step forward uh, to, make that, to make that happen. So hopefully that helped a little bit. Um, so... And now, and then now they know I'm not hip, so that's <laughs> so that's fun. And you and she knows that, yeah, but anyway. Just to follow up yes. That, yeah. I mean, Brother Jeff just had this way mm-hmm. of just grabbing at a part of your soul, mm-hmm. you know, and really bringing these real life experiences with his sermon. Mm-hmm. You know that somehow he had a story for every verse mm-hmm. he was reading and preaching. Yeah. You know. Uh, Master at finding that right mm-hmm. story, that fitness, right yeah. service, at the right time, at the yep. right day that reached right. the masses. Right. I know that we're all going to miss Brother Jeff for the rest of you know all of us to being here together. Mm-hmm. We really just want to make sure that somebody's going to be able to reach us yeah. in that way. Yeah. I mean, we're not. Right, you know? right. And, and I think that that's a part of worshiping God. Mm-hmm. You know, he wants to know that we're happy, that yep. we know how to rejoice, and that right. we know how to have laughter, and, right. and yeah. sadness when needed, and mourning together, and you know, all the range of emotions. Right. He doesn't expect any less out of us, you know. Right. He equipped us with that entire range of emotions. Yep. And, I think, and I think the best possible thing, I, I completely agree with you that that connection is important and that's why I think the best thing a shepherd can do is be among the sheep and spend a ton of time as much time as possible around folks getting to know them uh, getting to know 
hey, because, yeah, because so that's really helpful, and that's how you can get those stories to connect. As, as someone coming in as sort of a one-off, it's like, well, do I use that illustration or do I not? What's the group like? Are they going to are they gonna get, like I, I quoted in a sermon, I've been doing some pulpit supply in my area, and I quoted the band Kansas, which some of you is like, who's that? And then some of you are like, yes, you know, and so I... And so it was a group that would have known what I was talking about, but then there's others that wouldn't know when I talk about dust in the wind and talking about that song, what song I'm talking about. So some of that will go with getting to know the folks a little bit and getting to know, and sometimes using maybe multiple illustrations that might connect with different different folks at, at different places. But I promise the Kansas thing had a point. I don't just quote <laughs> 60, 60s rock bands for a point. I was showing the sort of uh, the vanity of life that some people pursue after. And anyway, that was an interesting story along with it, but that's okay. So, yeah, go for it. Do you play an instrument? I do. I do. I'm not very good, but... So, so I learned how to play guitar. So you're gonna, you're, y'all are going to judge me hard, but that's okay. Uh, I learned to play guitar in middle school and high school to try to impress girls, and that's about as far as it got, as I learned how to play enough to impress her, and so it served its purpose, I guess. Right? <laughs> but, but yes, but, but I, play, I, yes, I play a little bit of guitar. I was in band and choir on my seven years in middle school and high school, so I get how, mu- I kind of get the theory side of it. I play about that, like if you play piano, I'm not very good, but if you didn't know, I actually might sound okay, you know, and uh, so, yeah, so I love music, love being involved with that sort of thing, and I get it, you know, like we, uh, we in high school had a band, actually, I was in a band, what was funny was my friends were the actual talented ones, I would preach and they would play, and we kind of traveled a little bit, not a ton, but I got it enough to sort of figure it out, and you could probably to find the, our old band pictures somewhere on the internet, and They're I'm sorry. They are. They're somewhere. <laughs> They're somewhere. And I had this big hair that went down to here. It was bad. It was really, really bad. But, no, but to answer your question, yes, I'm, I'm okay. I'm, I'm okay with stuff, but I'm sure the worship band up here would be far better than me at some of that stuff. But, but anyway, hope that that helps. And I reveal a lot about myself in these Q&As, so that might or might not be good. But <laughs> tell them about my, my high hey, school days. That's right. There we go. There we go. <laughs> so, what do you think about like retreats with like uh, adults and retreats like uh, yeah, hearts on fire and adults going to a place mm-hmm. to uh, fellowship and stuff like that? Yeah, I know those were formative for me when I was in youth group or doing some of those retreats. So I'd definitely be open to doing different retreats with different with different folks. I think the key with those is to make sure that they're well planned that you talk to the actual people that are going for, like, if it's, like, for an age group and make sure it's actually going to be fun for that, for that age group, you know, and that you have, have a spiritual purpose, something you're wanting to connect with them for, uh, not, you know, so. So I think, I think having those intentional things in place and having a team to uh, assist with that's great. Again, I think some of the best things ever are to get away from your normal day-to-day in order for God to really encounter you uh, where you are. That's like for us, we're actually getting to go back to Michigan next week to see her family and spend some time away 
uh, to sort of pray and seek the Lord, and just and it was scheduled long before I was scheduled to be here, so I'm glad it all ended up working out, but we'll be spending some time away just sort of seeking the Lord, recharging, pursuing after Him, and doing some of that. So I would, I'd, I'd be very open to doing those things, whether that's me personally taking a group or whether that's a combination of folks uh, going along for that. So, yeah. Yeah, go for it. That's, yeah. Yeah, you. Is Dana? Yes. Yes. Um, so I grew up in a Christian home. Um, I was lucky enough to have a really solid church to grow up in. Um, I pursued missions by the time I was 13. I was heading out. Um, I helped in um, my one of my first missions trips, besides going on retreats when I was in middle school, um, is I helped um, during the Hurricane Katrina. I helped and went down there with my church, went to South Dakota, went to all sorts of different places, and um, just knew that the Lord was calling me to pursue him more in a different way. When I was, ah, yeah, I was 13, I had a couple older ladies sit me down and point at me and says, you do not want to be a pastor's wife, so try to pursue something else. And I looked at them, I'm like, (laughs) okay. And so I went home, and I knelt down on my bed, and I'm like, Lord, I want to be a pastor's wife. Here I am now, married to a pastor. (laughs) So... Um, so be careful what you tell people not to do. <laughs> they might just turn around yes. and do the exact opposite. So um, By the time I was, I, I would say 17 is when I really took everything serious with Jesus. When I was 15, I had um, ACL meniscus surgery, and that really just tore me up because I wasn't allowed to play sports anymore. Um, and I went to Africa when I was in about 20, um, was there for three months, did amazing ministry there, saw so many people get saved. And um, I knew that I was passionate, yes, for children's ministry. Like I said earlier, I was um, the youth intern for the summer and um, just really learned a lot of different children's ministry, led um, Sunday school classes for fifth graders and sixth graders, had so much fun with them. And then um, as time continued, yes, I still love children. Yes, I'm still passionate about um, children's ministry, but I'm also very passionate about women. Um, I love to sit down with them and to challenge them in their walk and to pour out um, more and more just sharing the gospel. Sometimes the most encouraging conversations is to have another woman look at you and tell you the gospel. And that has been such an amazing thing. And um, the Lord has been gracious and has placed a lot of women in my life where I was able to sit down with them, have fellowship with them, absolutely. Absolutely, and just laugh with them, but then to also sit down and go, hey, you know, I'm really struggling with X, Y, and Z, and we're able to share the gospel with one another and just to help minister to one another. So I'm very passionate about women's ministry. Um, I led a group of women, um, and then before I moved to (laughs) uh, Kentucky, I was also a part of um, a women's group, and I helped lead that before I passed the baton over to a younger lady who uh, just graduated high school. She was the one who began to pick up where we left off. And uh, so for me, just I love Jesus and I love women because I know that there are times that 
women's ministry can be all about, oh, let's comfort you, but sometimes we just need a good old, you need Jesus, <laughs> and let's share the gospel. So, I, again, I'm very passionate for women's ministry of all ages, um, and... And the only thing you might have missed is that you were, she's from Ludington, I am. Michigan. So if I'm you from Michigan, know. which is eight and a half hours away from here. From Owensboro. From Owensboro, so oh. about nine and a half or so um, from Katie's. And I'm going to be a Michigander for a second. It's shaped like this. It's shaped, the state's shaped like this, and Ludington's right here on the pinky. On the beach. Right on Lake, the Great Lakes. So grew up there my whole life. Had, um, I would say the population when the tourists go away is 8,000 people. And when it's summer, might cut out. Um, and when it's summertime, it goes to 35,000 people. So, <laughs> but. Good question. We were talking about, I wonder if they're going to ask the wife anything. So we were, I'm glad, to, I'm glad to see that. No, we really were. We're glad to see that. We're like, hope she's just not standing up here like. <laughs> I would gladly still do it. Just... Yes, just stand there. <laughs> so I have a couple questions. Okay. Um, so how do you feel about unorthodox ministry, like uh, playing occasionally like a Christian movie for a bunch of youth or everyone of all ages or like uh, Karate for Christ, like unorthodox mission? I l- I've never heard of Karate for Christ. That sounds fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> So I am completely open to, in certain settings, uh, doing things that whatever it would take to, you know, become all things to all men in order to reach some. Certainly, I think there's a level of, um, obviously, reverence we need to consider if we're here and we're gathered as God's people together and things like that. We need to be careful that we don't send a a negative message if it's, let's say, on a Sunday morning to to come across and maybe more entertainment-driven rather than being worship-driven and things like that. But in terms of what might happen outside of a Sunday gathering, I think I would be open to anything that would both preach the gospel and not be and, and honor God with whatever gifts uh, might be here, whether that's movies, whether that's Karate for Christ, which I really kind of want to learn a little more about now. That sounds super, that sounds super interesting. Uh, so I think I'd be open to in terms of what would happen outside of... Um, these walls on a Sunday, plenty of options that, that might be out there. So, so that's a really good question. Were there other questions that you had? Uh, yeah, I have another one. Okay. Um, so I've had a lot of people look down at me because I'm younger, mm. and I've had a lot of things happen in my life that I don't really feel like sharing right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I, I, I do understand what it's like to be looked down on because I'm young. I definitely have been there 100%. Huh? I am, uh, I'm, I'm 25, and so officially. And I have been in ministry since I was 15, and some since I have been a pastor since I was 19. So you've got to understand, the 19-year-old pastor, nobody took the young guy seriously at all. And yet, again, we were there for five years and had a fantastic experience. So I would be open to youth that profess faith in Christ, to serve on any sort of teams in terms of if there were hospitality teams, if there were service, whether it's 
worship team, whatever setting it might be that their gifts fit and their passions fit with that, I think I would be open to integrating particularly some of the, uh, some of the older youth, uh, high school, middle school, into the life of the church in a lot of different ways. So, I mean, we, we need to have youth serving here, whether that is hanging out the front door, welcoming people, whether that's here, whether that's whatever it might be, I think I would be open. And, and I think it'd be good, too, to even teach some, uh, help some youth to learn how to lead Bible studies with small groups of other youth and things like that. I think I, I understand being that I was 19 and, and even younger than that and was leading different things that these young people, we often don't give them enough credit for how smart they are, how quick they can pick up on things. I mean, they, re- they really are. And so I would be very open to integrating those that were interested and those who have a, a, a Christian testimony into the, the ministries and the life of the church. So but did that answer your question, though? Yeah. Okay, good. Yep. Just to kind of let you guys know a little bit more about our community mm-hmm. outside of our congregation here, we, already, we do have a Christian youth center. Good. Now, COVID depending restrictions, mm-hmm. you know, nobody really Right. Yeah, I don't see any reason. I'm, I'm actually a big fan of seeing churches come together and partner together. That's actually something in Owensboro we didn't see a lot of, and even when we tried to sort of spur that on, it, it really wasn't that way. Even among like-minded churches who sort of shared a similar idea of what we wanted to do and who we wanted to, it just wasn't what a... But we, but we all definitely helped in different settings, so I think I'd be very open to partnering with, with other churches, so... Mhm. Mhm. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think I think that's great to come together and have partnership together, and you know, as long. Yeah. I think that I think that's a great thing. And again, I don't. I. You seem to speak highly of it. It seems like others seem to speak well of it. So I'm sure it's a great uh, a great ministry that they do over there. So. Yep. Yeah. I have Okay. Right. Um, there's lots of 
Yeah, yeah. Well, that's really helpful. So as far as conflict resolution, I'm a big believer in one, Jesus has already laid out how we're supposed to deal with these sort of things. When your brother sins against you, you don't go post it on Facebook. You don't, you don't go to the person over there and go, hey, did you hear what so-and-so did? You go to them and you talk to them about it. And you talk about things face-to-face. As much as I love technology, the, you know, these different, these different things we have, social media, being able to text people, man, it really cuts into actually being able to really have conversation. So if it, if it were me, I'd be like, hey, let's go grab coffee or go out to eat or have you come over and let's, let's talk about whatever it is that needs to be talked about. You know, and I would encourage other believers to model that as I model it and ultimately as Jesus modeled it. And in terms of being a light to our community, I do think that comes down to our the fourfold sort of values I laid out of gather, growing, giving, going. And I think on top of that, I'm a big believer in preaching this. And I'm a big guy, and I'm a big believer in verse by verse through books of the Bible, exposing people to all of God's word. Because I think it's so easy to kind of look at the parts we like and go, well, I like that part. I'm gonna I'm gonna obey and believe that. But not looking at what all of God's word might say. And so I think that is so essential in allowing us to live fully orbed Christian lives of obedience, as if we actually do what Jesus said, which was teach everything he commanded. And so I think it it comes back to that, and it comes down to practical, applicable teaching about all of that. So I think that at least is where it starts. So I hope that was helpful a little bit. So, Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. to him narrowing us down to our one candidate mm-hmm. and we felt like we were supposed to bring mm-hmm. and so I know about it from that side mm-hmm. I'd like to hear from your side uh, maybe timing wise or just how you feel like God is calling you yeah that's a great that's a great um, that's a great question. So I will say out front, it was actually kind of unexpected to initially get the call about the, um, about the questionnaire. I had had someone else send the resume in on my behalf, actually, and said, hey, have you ever looked at this church? And I looked at it a little bit, and then he sent another person that sent the resume in, and I could honestly forgot about, the, about it right away. But then the Lord had cut some other opportunities out, and I get the call, I think it was from Lance, and I go, wow. <laughs> the Lord just sort of leads you in a completely different direction than her and I ever thought we were going. We were looking around Owensboro going, maybe the Lord wants us to stay close. And it looks like that isn't what he wants us to do at all. So it's been incredible to see the sort of providence that only God could have done to have it sent in, to have the timing of the calling for the um, for the questionnaire to then be able to be free to drive down here, for then this Sunday to be where the perfect Sunday for, for a lot of different scheduling things. And even in the midst of COVID, you know, it's so interesting how things opened when they did and, and brought this to happen. So I really think this was uh, the Lord's work because only he could have orchestrated all of this. <laughs> And only he could have caused me to go, no, I think you need to re I think you need to stop thinking you know what's best. 
Because in case you didn't know, pastors and preachers, we sin too. <laughs> so, in case you didn't know, we, we sin too and we make mistakes. And sometimes we think we're going one way and then the Lord goes, nope. And pulls the car and leads us in a different direction. So I firmly believe uh, that this is where he is, uh, he is leading us. And I think six months ago, if you'd asked me where he was leading me, I would have said, I think he wants me to stay in Owensboro. But I think he has completely turned the car up for me in a way that only he could do. So was there a question? So if we vote for you, if mm-hmm. we want you permanently, yeah. Yeah, that's a great question. So we had our, I had already talked a little bit with, with, I know, with Kent talking about, it's not, it's possible for me to make the drive on a Sunday. So, well, well, no, I'm saying in terms of in the short term, making the drive is possible. We'd have to talk about, you know, I'd have to figure out. We had a, a fun adventure with our car on the way down here, so that was good. But we'll have to get that checked out and do all that. But there you go. That's right. That's right. I know who I need to call, right? So currently, currently I work a 40-hour-a-week job, and I was doing that even while I was pastoring. I was you know, juggling 60-hour work weeks between the church and that and everything else. So I could easily put in a two weeks from the job from whenever we know we're here, but really the big question is where are we going to live? And so I think we'll figure that out, but a lot of it will just be, we're in a month-to-month lease where we are, which was funny, too, that our lease ran out in the midst of COVID, and they haven't, so we've just been going month-to-month. So all we have to do is give a 30-day notice, and we're out of there and can be down here. We just have to find somewhere to stay. So if you know where we can stay, give me a call, right, if that's, <laughs> if that's where the Lord leads us to do so. It would really be some of those logistics, and in the short term, if I need to make the our 40-minute drive to preach while we figure some of that out and even spend the whole day here on Sundays. That wouldn't be, that wouldn't be the end of the world. Or come Saturday and stay overnight and be here Saturdays and Sundays all day if that's what needs to occur. That's what needs to occur. But I'm all in on getting that, uh, getting all those logistics figured out. The fortunate thing is Owensboro is less than two hours. So, so that's fortunate. Yes, and there's no time change, which we found fun Going when you go to some other spots, it's you know the east. You jump into Eastern time, and it just really confuses everything. So, there you go. Yeah, there you go. We just have to step in at this point. I'm going to speak loud because we we have some people who need to go. We don't want to uh, close anything off that needs to stay open. But I think you've heard a lot of things about who he is and where he's going as far as God leading him.
feel crazy asking you after I look at this kid. Uh, but I want to ask you, what do you think about long-term ministry? Yes, that's a great okay, question. That's all I need to know. Yes. You said yes, don't go any further. Well, that's a, no, I want you to know, I want you to know, my wife, my wife and I have been looking for the place where we will be 10, 20, 30, 40 if the Lord gives us 50 years, that's what we've been praying about. Obviously, the Lord can have plans that we may not know about, but that's always what we've been looking for, what we've been pursuing, um, and that's part of the reason where I was serving bivocationally wasn't going to be viable long-term uh, to do something like that. It wasn't going to be viable to do it 10, 20, 30 years, and the Lord called us away from that, I think, to look for being one place for a long time with a group of people, seeing all of the things that that involves. So we're looking for somewhere uh, to be long-term. So if you didn't like us for this little bit, I guess 10 years wouldn't be very good then, right? <laughs> so, <laughs> but hope that was helpful on that, so.